What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are back with another episode of Beyond Baseball, powered by Prospects Live. As always, I am here with Dr. Caleb Mezzi. Uh, Caleb, how are you doing today? I am great. I'm really excited to talk about the guests for this uh, episode. I think uh, we had some really good conversations. Um, and, you know, I'm saying this from someone who's in education, just about connecting with people, connecting with individuals, uh, connecting with students, coaching and teaching, you know, have a lot of the same parallels. So I think that was really a fun you know, part of this conversation. Yeah, we had a uh, Clayton Richard on, who's a left-handed pitcher, mostly with the San Diego Padres. Had some stints with the Chicago White Sox, around the Blue, Blue Jays, uh, Chicago Cubs. Spent about eleven years in the big leagues, so he had a lot of experience. He's one of those guys who had a elongated career, but still, after eleven years of pitching in the big leagues, he still comes out retired, probably before he was even in his forties. And so he had to really try to figure out what he wanted to do next. And it was kind of cool to hear from him how he translated a lot of the skills that he got from uh, Major League Baseball in, le- in terms of leadership and things like that to really help him transition to coaching kids at the high school level. So I think that's something that really stuck out to me and that I enjoyed most. Yeah, I, I would even just extend that into he's not the first person we talked about. He probably won't be the last, but the connection between baseball and football and yeah. him kind of entering uh, as a quarterback and then taking that quarterback mindset, that vision, you know, that approach to, you know, work ethic and everything, bringing that into pitching. And then after um, his career, which, you know, you've already kind of you know touched on bringing that into coaching and then connecting with your students and understanding that it's not just about, are you ready to play for the game? Are you ready, you know, to suit up against this opponent? But it's also like, are you getting, you know, your work done in class. Are you getting the grades that you need to to be eligible to play this weekend? Um, he did a really good job of that. And then he shared with us, you know, some of the stuff that he takes into, you know, fatherhood and, you know, yeah. parenting his kids. And really, and we've, we've heard this from a lot of players, being able to singly focus now on your family rather than them focusing on you while you're traveling, while you're, you know, on the road or you're, you know, away from your family for a whole season, even including spring training. He's like, I've been able to shift this focus. Um, I will say, like, the guy just is a tremendous um, leader. You can tell from the way he carries himself, even the way he looks, um, just what he took into, you know, his career as a baseball player, him acting as a quarterback, and then also just being a parent and a coach now in his second act. 
Yeah, I think you could really see the coach angle on him. I mean, he's a very serious guy. You'll all see that in the interview as well. I mean, I think this is like the third guy we've had on that's been, what, football slash baseball player? Yeah, like exactly. I mean, I've, I've wanted to just barely stay on the field playing baseball in high school. Yeah. And these guys are just like, oh, I've just decided to go play football or just decided, hey, I'll give up on football. I'm going to go play baseball and then makes it to the major leagues. Because um, he wanted, I remember him saying that he specifically wanted to be a quarterback and a starting quarterback at the college level. Um, and he was like, baseball was kind of like just there. And he's like, I was good at it and I went and played. So it's just kind of cool. I think everybody's really going to enjoy it. Um, and so we'll get you over to that interview with Clayton Richard now. All right, everybody, we are here with another amazing guest for the Beyond Baseball podcast. Um, we have Clayton Richard, who had spent 11 years in the big leagues with the Cubs, White Sox, Padres, Blue Jays. Um, we're really excited to have you on, Clayton. How are you doing today? I'm terrific. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, so the first thing we always like to kick off with the guests, uh, just for the viewers who might not know who you are, just give us a little bit of background on your journey through professional baseball, um, some of the ups and downs that came with that, and kind of how you got to the role that you're in now outside of the game. Well, actually, I've always been into athletics, so more than just baseball. It was growing up in Indiana, it was baseball in the summer, and then football in the fall, basketball in the winter, and then just kind of that cycle through my youth. And I always missed the other sports when I, when I got into baseball specifically. So went to Michigan, uh, went there to actually play quarterback. That did not work out for me. Um, Hopped on with the baseball team, was drafted by the White Sox in 05. Made it up to the big leagues in 08. Traded to the Padres in 09, probably right after I thought I was going to be a White Sox forever. The real world of baseball hit me. And then uh, went out to San Diego for the majority of my career. Was out there from 09 to 13 or 14. Had a couple of shoulder issues. They let me go. Bounced around a couple minor league deals and then traded to the Cubs in 2015 and made a debut with the Cubs on July 4th, was there about a calendar year, and they valued Chapman's arm at that time higher than mine. And they let me go, picked up by the Padres again, and was there for a few years and then traded to the Blue Jays and kind of ended my big league career and then did one more year in Schaumburg at the alternate site with the White Sox and led me into coaching because I, I love athletics and went back to my, my home in Lafayette and jumped on with coach Pat Shanley with the football program and baseball opened up short time after that and, and hopped into baseball as well. That, that's awesome to kind of hear transition to. And I really want to jump into the, your story, kind of transitioning into coaching. But the one thing you touched on is kind of being a multi-sport athlete and working in baseball for a while and working with a lot of different coaches at the college. They, when I, at the, in terms of baseball, they loved when guys were coming and they were recruiting guys that were multi-sport athletes. Um, what did you enjoy most about that? And how did you decide to make that transition when you were at Michigan to go from football to baseball? Yeah, first with the multi-sport, that was just that was natural for me. I was fortunate that my father and I'm not in this situation where the environment today is, there's so many people pulling the children to specialize in one thing, which is <laughs> awful for the kids. I feel so bad for some kids that you have one coach tell them if they want to do anything in baseball, they better be in a barn on January 1st, hitting off a tee or whatever it may be. And 
I, I don't have to live in that environment. So I'm very fortunate. And my, my father and mother were so huge in pushing me into try everything, be in everything. And you stay with it as long as you can. At some point, someone's going to take a ball away from you. And don't be the one that gives up the ball. <laughs> don't be asking to get out of the game. Don't be asking to be at, like in that moment or like big picture for the end of your life career. So I was fortunate to grow up with that, with that mentality and, and really understood that the value of competing in season outweighed that off-season training, especially as a developing youth athlete. Being with the team, practicing, having a goal at the end of the week or you're going to a basketball game or whatever it may be, a basketball tournament, and understanding that what you're getting from that, the athleticism, the competition, the camaraderie, working with a team – far outweighs trying to develop a specific skill set for one specific sport. So I, I'm all about that. Have, having, I have three children and I want them to play everything as long as they can. So I show them Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. And <laughs> I, I know that might not be realistic, but it, it's, it's been done. And I want them to see like you can do more than just one thing. Um, and then you had a second part of the question. Sorry. Yeah, so how did you kind of make that transition? Was it like ultimately decided for you that you're going to go to football or baseball? Was it a personal decision on your own? Um, that that kind of thing. I went to Michigan with full anticipation of winning a Heisman. <laughs> I wanted to be the starting quarterback at Michigan. I wanted to wear number three, and I wanted to win a Heisman and win a national championship. And clearly, that did not happen. Um, I was there. My I knew I was going to redshirt my freshman year. John Navarro was starting, and I, I had that expectation going in. So I I, I weathered that. Not play. It was very difficult. Was, and I, I tell a lot of our seniors going into their freshman year, like this is going to be if you're in athletics, it's probably going to be the most difficult year. You're leaving home, everything's new, a different type of studying. Uh, you, you don't get to go to mom and dad and be consoled, and. It, that, that first year was tough. And then, goodness, that the next year where I did not win the starting job, Chad Henney beat me out. That was that was really difficult to handle. And I was clearly biased towards myself. And I thought I was talented enough and had done enough to earn a, more of a chance to play on Saturdays. And that just never happened. And from the thing, the information I was getting from the coaching staff and everyone around the program, it did not look as if I would get that opportunity moving forward. And so that was when I decided that I wanted to, to try out baseball up there. Um, Coach Carr going into it through the recruiting process told me that if I wanted to play both, I'd play both. The year, the year before, I did not because I, I wanted to try to win that starting spot. But seeing what was happening with the football program, I was not going to get the opportunity to see the field at a starting capacity. That's when I went to play baseball and then was drafted later that season. So jump in there. Look, looking back and, you know, kind of listening to your answer to Jared's question, I kind of want to overlay your identity there. So you come in, you're a football player. It's a little different mentality than baseball, but it is athletics, like you mentioned. How has your identity shifted at that moment? And then how did it shift over the course of your baseball career and then into coaching? Um, that's an interesting question I've never really thought about. I always – going through high school – you're the man, you're, you're the guy on the field, you're on, on the court and you're starting. I, I never experienced anything other than that, being the, the person with the ball, pitching, being the quarterback, being on the basketball team. 
And for four years in those three sports, that's all I knew. And so going up there, you kind of anticipate, all right, I'm going to redshirt. And so I think I was fortunate to not identify with a role. Um, I did not associate my identity with a particular role. I always envisioned my future and my path. I, I, I never uh, stopped working because of what I wanted to get to, but I, I felt as if I had a pretty good perspective of understanding that what I am right now is not what I'm going to be. And I, I knew that through many lessons with my parents that if I wanted to be something greater, work was going to be what separates. And so I didn't find that I wanted to be a worker. I wanted to work outwork everyone. And more importantly, outwork my yesterday self. And so establishing myself as a worker, I think might've been the most valuable thing. And I was fortunate that I had that example at home growing up that my parents were workers. Yeah, I love that answer. I mean, it, it's almost like what, like you hear a player talking, like he's been coached before, whether his parents are coaches mm-hmm. or he's coachable, just, you know, in general. Um, that's what that answer sounds like. I was curious in terms of asking because you said athletics maintained throughout. And now that you're a coach, I mean, you're obviously a father as well because you talked about your kids a little bit. But um, how do you take that identity that you're talking about as a worker into coaching? It's the difficult part for me was finding the balance being father and coach because father and player, when we're doing that, I have two boys and a daughter. I had my two boys. They're nine and 10. Now my daughter's five. So while I was playing, I had my two boys were younger. I was very fortunate that their mother, my wife is such a strong individual and was such a strong mother because I did not have a great balance while I was playing. I had worked for, as long as I can remember to be the best player I could be and everything kind of else on the side was, that was it. It was on the side. I had one, one desire and I was disciplined towards that goal of being the best baseball player I could be. And I put everything else kind of on the side. I, I love my family to death and I would never change it for the world. And I, I love them that much then, but I also understood my window to play baseball was small and it was closing. And I wanted to give everything I could to that profession, to that opportunity while I had that chance. And now, once I'm out, I recognize that my that window with, as being a father is closing. That impact I can have and, and the love I can share and those opportunities I get to experience with my children, they're just growing so fast. That, that is shrinking. So it's balancing time where I allocate that time and spending it with my children and spending it with the team or watching film or preparing for whatever it's, it's a practice or a game. But right now I'm putting my children and my wife and our family first, and I'm able to do that at the high school level. I think that at the higher levels, that becomes a little less realistic to allocate that much time towards your family to be a good coach at the professional level, you have to really allocate more time towards the profession. There's a different level of preparation. There's a different level of input you have to put in to be prepared, to have your players prepared to operate at the highest level in the world. And I recognize that. And I I think I'm fortunate. I recognized that early on because I, I could see myself getting lost into being in professional sports and just that being my life. 
Yeah, I think the one thing that you really touched on that hit me is like finding that balance in life and the sport as well. And I think a lot of that um, when kids are at 16 years old and you're coaching the high school level, they're trying to figure out who they are like we're in those moments. And so for them, it's I think the lessons that you learn being able to be a multi-sport athlete, being able to branch out and try different things that really helps you figure out who you are in person and like what you love and what your passions are. Like if you don't go out and try something new, then you might not know whether you love something or not. And so I think those things are huge um, to touch on. The, the one question I will have too, because you dealt with a lot of transitions too while you're during your playing career. So um, you were traded at one point as well, kind of, take us through the process of what it was like to, to be traded or having to enter a new clubhouse um, with uh, people that you just don't know or aren't familiar with. Yes. Well, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of go on a tangent really quick. <laughs> <laughs> you brought up dealing with the high school kids and that was as much of a reason as anything was understanding that they're in such transformative years through high school. And that was such an attractive part of being present at the high school level my, because my wife joins it like she's heavily involved with the baseball end of it is if we can help kind of redirect a couple of these kids and put them on a transition that, that leads them possibly in a better way and the impact that can have on our community it was just such a, a unique opportunity and one that you don't get in professional or college at because those pros they're they're grown men and they're setting their ways and they're making a lot of money. They're not going to, they, they've made it and maybe not where they want to. They're maybe not fulfilled, but we can help them pitch. You can help with like a grip or manipulating a little change in mechanics, but you're not going to have the impact you do at the high school level. So that was a, a big reason to get into that part of it. And then, sorry, back to your question. Sorry. Yeah, uh, just kind of talking about transitions um, and while you're doing your playing career and kind of being traded and what it was like to kind of have to hop into a new clubhouse with new people. It was difficult because it was the first time that I was drafted by the White Sox, came up with the White Sox. So and I really did not do a, a good job understanding professional sports and the business aspect. I, all I saw was the action on the field, and that's all I wanted to be a part of. So up until the time I got traded, I never really thought of – my goals were always, all right, I'm in rookie ball. I want to perform to a level that I help my team win, and the organization sees me as being an A-ball player. And then you're an A-ball. I, I want to do the same thing. I want to go up. And then once I reached the big leagues with the White Sox – I wanted to be the, and I wanted to help them win. I wanted to help the White Sox win. And that's the only thing I could, I could see. And about a month before the trade happened, I think it was proposed and accepted by the two teams, but Jake Peavy had, I think, I believe he had a no trade clause and he, he turned it down. And at that point I thought I was going to get, I was like, I'm for sure gone. Like the guys in the, the clubhouse and the dugout acted like I was gone. And then that happened. So I was like, man, I'm going to be a White Sox forever. I'm going to be a in Chicago the rest of my career. I was really starting to enjoy the guys in the clubhouse. Mark Burley, John Danks, Gavin Floyd. was starting to create a relationship with them that I had not had in professional sports. And then sure enough, the trade deadline came around and I was out of there. It was a, it was a phone call. Um, well, it wasn't a phone call. I was getting ready for a start against the Yankees. My dad was driving up. Is Chicago's about two hours from where I'm at in Lafayette, Indiana. And so he, he, he's coming up and uh, 
Kenny Williams and Ozzie Guillen. I'm sitting with Dwayne Wise, and we were, I think we were playing cards. They grabbed me out of the lunchroom, took me into the office, and said, Hey, just traded you to San Diego. I was like, Man, San Diego. And at the time, I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> I grew up a Yankees fan. I was, I was super excited. I was getting ready to face the Yankees. My dad, my high school coach, were coming up. And I had no clue how pro sports worked. And I was like, hey, can I, can I just start today and then go tomorrow? And I'm like, no, nah, that's not how it works. You, <laughs> you got to go. <laughs> you, can't, you can't touch a baseball. You, you're no longer with us. You're out. Um, and that was, was kind of heartbreaking. Um, knew nothing about San Diego. Got a phone call from Kevin Towers and Bud Black uh, a few minutes later. And they – they present themselves as excited. I don't know how excited they were to lose Jake Peavy, but <laughs> they did a good job letting me know that they were excited I was coming. And I started, I think, the next day in San Diego against the Brewers. And it just it happens quick. Um, you're, you're sad, then you're excited. Um, and then you realize, like, oh, man, I have an apartment full of belongings. That I have. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to San Diego, and it's, it's July. The season doesn't end. And – my wife was in Texas, I believe, so she wasn't there to help. So I called Dad. Hey, are you in the truck? Because <laughs> yeah, why? I was like, oh, good, good. Uh, just whenever you get here, just come straight to the stadium, and we gotta go <laughs> to the and pick up everything as I got traded to the Padres. So it, it was definitely different, and it's going to the new clubhouse. Um, was a challenge in and of itself because it's it's a whole new dynamic it's it's new teammates you're the new guy um it was a, a team that was in a different phase the white Sox were ready to win right now yeah they were making a push they traded young guys like myself trying to get pvs an ace type pitcher to go in and push them over the hump and now you're in a place where everyone's my age, some guys younger, a lot of guys with less service time. I only had one year, but a lot of guys with less service time <laughs> than I had. And it was it was different when you're in San Diego. And at that time, there weren't a ton of people at the games, um, but it was beautiful. It was perfect weather. Yeah. And just re refining yourself and understand that the only thing you can control is your preparation and how you control your behavior. And just going to work every day. And I found that that was the best way that to get your teammates to respect you and, and want to be around you is just show them that you work every day. You show up every day, you're on time and you put in the work and you'll get the respect pretty quickly if you do that consistently. Yeah. yeah that's, that's your identity, that worker. So Jared, right. I mean, if you, if you want to ask a question, go ahead. No, I was going to say one thing and Caleb, I'll turn it over to you for a question. Yeah. But yeah. I, the one thing I really liked is you talked about kind of controlling what you can control and being in that moment. I mean, you, you know, what's in front of you, you know, where your feet are and you know, like, this is what I control. I can control being a good teammate. I control the work that I put in every single day. And I think that that's key um, in terms of transitioning, whether it's getting traded or whether it's moving on to uh, a new career. I'm Caleb, but I'll turn it over to you if you have a question. Yeah, I want to kind of do two things. One is I want I want to take that worker um, identity that you have because I think it it's su it's super relevant to every minor league, major leaguer, maybe every professional athlete. I just think that you know you have to as Clayton you mentioned this, you you work your way up this ladder and you do what's in front of you because like if you're an A ball, you want to get here. If you're working with a high school athlete, how do you kind of set that? I'm going to call it because I'm an academic a developmental plan, right? I'm going to call it that. How do you set that with 
it doesn't always have to be the freshman. Well, let's just take it from the 14, 15 year old kid. How do you also incorporate their parents? Because we, we all know um, the joke of, you know, the, the best kid to, to coach right now is an orphan because they don't have parents. But how do you how do you get um, them off your back so that everybody's on the same page? You guys know where you're moving. If they're not playing, here's a reason. How do you start that developmental plan so that everybody can then take their worker identity and put it into play? We have three expectations in our baseball program, and they are be on time, they're be honest, and do work. And so first is established in the first, because I can't expect them to all have the desire that I had at that age. That's not realistic. But I can teach them what it means to be successful in your job, whatever that may be, because you're more likely than not to have a job sometime soon. And the first component of that is you have to be on time and making sure they understand what being on time means. If we're supposed to be there at five, it doesn't mean that you're walking in at 4.59. It means at 5 p.m., you are, unlike myself today on this podcast, <laughs> you are physically there, mentally prepared, and physically prepared for whatever is coming up. So you're not scrambling around at what time was it? 11:57, trying to figure out <laughs> Google Chrome to your MacBook. You're you've already done it. You've established that you have everything prepared for that upcoming event that's going to happen at 5 p.m. And that that's a big one. I, I found out yeah, this that that was not what was happening with with our student athletes. So get, getting them to identify what it meant to be on time and doing it every day. And then the next one is being honest. And that one is a big one for us. And the communication is also part of it. But understanding that for us to trust each other, we have to be honest to each other. And for our players to tell us if, if there's an issue or if they don't like it or where they're at when we're trying to coach. Because if they're trying to hide a feeling or hide what they have going on in their life, we cannot coach them to the level that they, they they want and deserve. And then also it's being honest with your teammates, being honest with your parents and being honest with your teachers. If we're able to be honest with each other, our growth, our, our ability to grow is going to be exponentially better if we're, we're hiding these truths. And the last, last one, much like we've talked about, is just doing the work. Like we're going to be faced with work. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't go anywhere. If that bucket of baseballs is out in center field. It's not going to magically get into the shed. So we have to do the work and we have to take a little pride and not only pride, but have excitement about the work. And I think that's the big one I want to touch on is no matter what you're into, work is what separates us. Now that you might not like a guy, there's been plenty of players throughout the course of Major League Baseball that people are like, you'll bring up their name. Like, ah, don't <laughs> like that. But he's, he's one of the best big leaguers in the history of the game because he did the work. Yeah. And so if, if you're just simply able to do the work that's asked of you, or more importantly, more than what's asked of you and more than what anyone else does, you're going to separate yourself. Um, there's other traits that you want to attain that, it, it, hopefully your parents instilled that you, you're going to be kind and nice to everyone. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be successful, you have to do the work. Yeah. I want to, I want to clear some things up too. So mm -hmm. like 
I'm a professor, so I have a syllabus, right? And every syllabus I have, it talks about being on time. I also say you can't wear a hat, which I'm breaking my own rule here. But <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a professional. I'm employed, so I could kind of do whatever I want once I get there. But I think that the interesting thing to clear your name of what you said you did as a wrongdoing is if you're not going to be on time, everyone knows that stuff happens in life. But to communicate and say, listen, yes. I'm going to text or email you and say, like, this is why I'm running late. Like if a student is coming late and he's like, I was with – you know, I'm math teacher because I'm not doing well in this class. I don't think that you're going to, you know, give this guy shit. So it's like, that's the other thing is how do you, how do you do this professionally so that everybody's on the same page? And if something does come up, car accident, parent was, you know, whatever it may be, at least they're communicating it and not making excuses later. Um, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to just say, the honest thing, being honest with yourself, I think is something that you would also add to that yes. because they have to be honest about where they are. I want to throw it back to you. Let's say we have a, a student, right, who's doing all this stuff, being on time, being, you know, well prepared, coming in 15 minutes early, ready to practice at the, you know, time that you need it, no headphones in, no distractions, no phones, because these kids do not take headphones out of their ears. Um, <laughs> and then they're, they're being honest with themselves, they're being honest with you, being honest with everybody else, and they're doing all the work, but they're not getting the playing time, or they're not seeing the results on the field or even off the field. How do you handle that? That, that's a difficult one. And it's tough because we, we had, so I was the new coach this year. This was, I'm kind of one full year into it. And unfortunately we had, not unfortunately we had eight seniors, but we had eight seniors. Unfortunately, half to more than half did not have a prominent role on the team. Hmm. So they had expectations going in their senior, like they knew what they wanted. They had an idea of what was going to happen before I was going to come in. And you could tell that that was difficult. And I understand, like, man, I understand because I, I went to Michigan. I had an expectation. Like, I understand what it feels like to have this expectation and not get out of it what you put into it or you perceive to put into it. So just sharing with them that honest outlook, like, I understand this is not what you want, but there's only one way to get what you want. And so you have to get better. And I do my best to be 100% honest and let them know where they stand before the season and after the season so they can make the adjustments if they so desire that, hey, you will probably be the starting first baseman. Um, you're going to be there every game. And then they, the, the kid that's right behind them, um, hey, you're right now, and that's a big one right now, you're not the starting first baseman. But this is what you have to do to earn that. Billy, he swings the bat a little bit better than you. He's got a better glove. And here's what you can do to improve those. And if they want, we'll give them whatever resource they can have to make those necessary improvements to see the field. And what you see is you, you see why unique athletes or special athletes are special because, once again, the work separates them. And very rarely do we have someone that does extra work and, and does – a significant more that that's not finding the field. So as you mentioned, everybody's not going to be like you. I think you, you know that right away. I think you know that when you take any coaching role, right? At least you have to. Um, how do you prepare them for life after, you know, I, I don't even want to say high school, but just life after playing sports in high school. How do you prepare them for things off the field? Like, I mean, it could be dating, getting a job in the off season, you know, dealing with your parents, dealing with other friends. Like, how are you preparing them that? For that as a coach right now that's 
part of the reason why baseball is so special is because you have to deal with so much adversity. You're going to fail yep. and you're going to fail and you're going to fail a lot. And we help them to understand that the, the fail, they can't identify as the failure, but they will be identified as how they behave when the failure occurs and they respond. So what is your response? Because you, you as a pitcher will say, you can only control the ball once in your hand. You can do everything perfectly and still give up a home run. But how do you respond once that home run occurs? Are you the guy that's pouting, throwing his glove, being a bad teammate? Or are you one that's going to be able to take a deep breath, control your mindset, control what you can control, and that's just when you get the ball back making the next pitch. And so – trying to make them understand that these things that we're teaching them throughout the game, how they take breaths in between pitches as a, a hitter, show them Devers, how he does it. And JD Martinez, when they step out of the box and every, every single time it's so prominent and so focused that they, they get their breath and they, they recalibrate their mind to take on the next pitch and help them understand that, there's going to be stuff that comes up that's not ideal and is really bad in your life. Yeah. And if, if we can't handle it on a baseball field, what's that going to look like when you are dealing with some real stuff in real life where you need, you need that foundation of strength and toughness to rely on uh, baseball and football. I, I coach quarterbacks at Jeff too. Those two things are going to help so much. Yeah. I, I mean, that. This is an awesome conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours about this stuff, um, but I wanted to dive in a couple more questions uh, or one more question before the last one. Um, the one thing that you touched on is be honest. And that's the one thing you kind of have as your core for your team. The one thing we get a common theme um, with the guests that come on the show is like the importance of relationships and how you'd build a relationship is with trust. And so being honest will help do that. Can you talk about the important role developing relationships played for you throughout your career and kind of how you've transitioned into your role now as a coach? Um, com communication. We, we brought that up earlier. You brought that up earlier, Caleb, is the ability to communicate, but not only communicate, but communicate the truth. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to do that in a way that you, you, sh you show compassion towards your teammates and you show that you care, but you give them the truth and you'll, you'll see that there's some guys that give the truth that they'll be well liked. Yeah. Like Zach Greenkey, I think is an example that he's going to give you the truth. Yeah. Yes. Like it or not, <laughs> he's not gonna, he's not gonna show much compassion and say like, Oh, I'm sorry, but this is, but he's going to give you the truth. And he's well respected and very highly regarded in the baseball community because he gives you the truth. And so if, if you're able to do that, you're far ahead of a lot of people in the unfortunately in the world because they will err on the side of trying to help your feelings so they'll see timmy sad it's like well timmy just hit sally and i need to get but i'll, I'll try to make timmy feel better before i it's like no you need to tell timmy that yeah <laughs> yeah you can't hit and we err on the side of trying to make make our, our children feel better or our, mm -hmm. our players feel better as opposed to giving them the truth and understand that this behavior over time is going to lead you down a path that's not good and one that you don't want to be down. So we have to give them that truth as early as possible. 
Yeah, and I, I love that answer. And it kind of touches on a little bit with the last question here Ad, I'll ask you. Um, we ask every guest this uh, just because we want the fans to get a dive behind the human uh, human beings, but we also want to be like, have a resource for future athletes um, and professionals as they try to transition out of the game or transition into professional baseball. Um, what would be the one piece of advice you have um, for any current athletes playing professional baseball or any professional sport thinking about that transition outside of the game? Um, find what you enjoy. And I think this goes back to, I'm trying to do my best to help my children develop. And I found that early on, I might've made things a little too hard for them. And then I kind of looked back and said, well, why would they want to work at baseball if they're not having fun playing baseball? What's, what's the benefit? What do I get out of it? If I get better at it, like, I don't like playing it. So understand that what is it, what is it that you enjoy? Because if you thoroughly enjoy something, you are more inclined to work to get more of that or at a higher level in that. So identify what you enjoy. And I got out of baseball and I, I coached Pat Shanley is at Lafayette Jeff with the football program. And from the outside, I kind of saw how he operated. I went to talk to his team once I saw how they practiced and I was very impressed. So I followed him around and I identified like this could be what I enjoy. And this could be something that I would enjoy putting the work in to get better at it and helping the children, the student athletes get better. So I think it's fine that like, what do you enjoy? What, what would you enjoy doing that you could work harder to improve and still be positive about? Yeah, yeah. it's very simple and it's, it's almost so straightforward. Like you were talking about being honest and communicating exactly like how you feel, but it's very tough because we don't talk about that. Like we don't talk about that as people, it has nothing to do with sports. We don't talk about like, what do you enjoy? What are you really interested in? We're always yeah. just like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And like, <laughs> what, would you, what would you like to do? What would you get paid? Like, what would you yeah. want to get paid for? What do you want your career to be? But it really, it, it does come back to what do you enjoy? And then when you ask that, they're like, I don't know, I've never thought about that. And yes. really just sim simplifying that answer and trying to figure out this is what I enjoy. And then saying like, Oh, well, here are four things of my life I enjoy. Here's the common theme in those three of four things. That will get you so much further. Right. That's perfect. And then you get really good at it and, and do, yeah. it, do it over and over. And you get really good. And you're eventually, if you get good at something, you'll start getting paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any worries. <laughs> Well, Clayton, this was just an awesome interview. We can't thank you enough for your time, taking the time to do this. Um, I think there's going to be so much value here for the people who listen and even athletes who are trying to figure out um, themselves outside of the game. So can't thank you enough for sitting down and we're wishing you the best of luck uh, as your baseball season kicks off here next year. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.